If you have your Bible with you this morning, would you turn please to Psalm 23? And we're reading together the first four verses of this psalm, and you'll find it on page 862. Back at the beginning of the month, we started a new series of studies on Sunday morning entitled Fresh Prayers for a New Year. And if you were with us two weeks ago, you will remember we looked at the great prayer of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 1. And today we're coming to what is one of the most beloved, best known, well memorized passages in all of Scripture. And it comes quite obviously from the Old Testament book of the Psalms. And so we're reading Psalm 23, verses 1 through 4. Beginning at verse 1. And David, of course, as you know, is the author of the psalm. And David, at one point in his life, was indeed a shepherd. And so he writes, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Amen, and we trust that God will bless to us this reading from his holy word. Last Sunday morning, as most of you are aware, that here in South Carolina, the upstate received its heaviest snowfall for several years. And most of us received somewhere between three and five inches of snow, and some a little more, in fact. And so the roads were undrivable, and we had to cancel church last Sunday morning. But nonetheless... Sunday was a wonderfully enjoyable day because once we got over the shock of receiving all of that snow, we eventually got our children and grandchildren all dressed up like the Michelin man and sent them out to play in the snow. And of course, Ruth and I had a great time watching all of our neighborhood children playing in the snow and it was spectacular. And so many have said to me this week, Richard, I sat there looking out the window enjoying this winter wonderland. And while all of that was going on, I received an email last Sunday afternoon. And it was an email that came from an extraordinary place. And it was addressed to you. And it came from Barbara Nichols. And Barbara is a member here at First Pres. Both Barbara and her family have worshipped here for many years, if not decades. And Barbara has a brother called Tom. And Dr. Tom Marshburn is a NASA astronaut, and he's currently on the International Space Station. And last Sunday afternoon, he sent an email so I could read it to you this morning. And I think you would agree, it's not every day one gets an email from outer space. And so here it is. And Tom wrote, There is a window on the space station that provides a panoramic view of space and the Earth from our 250-mile-high vantage point. From here, we see scant evidence of human life on our planet as we pass through each day. And even when flying through the night, the lights of our great cities appear and then vanish over the horizon in minutes. Civilizations hold on Earth's surface seems fragile and tenuous. 
But rather than creating a feeling of insignificance, the view provides witness to how incredibly rare and precious we all are and creates a desire to be forever thankful to our great God for our families, human fellowship, rain from clouds above, fragrant winds, sand beneath our feet, and for his goodness that we can reside here and live this life. Now, I think we would agree that's a remarkable email. For here is Tom traveling through space at 17,500 miles an hour. And he's pausing to look at the greatness and goodness of God and his blessing upon us that we have, as he says, life here. Quite remarkable. And when you stop and think of the remarkable nature of what it means to receive an email from outer space, let me take it one step further. And in these Sunday mornings together, as we look at fresh prayers for a new year, it is worth remembering at the outset of our study this morning that when we gather on Sunday morning and when we pause in prayer, we are entering into the presence of Almighty God and can express to Him our deepest, most intimate longing and desires of the hidden recesses of our heart and soul and mind. And in seconds, we have that incredible privilege It is certainly way up there, if not way beyond, receiving an email from the International Space Station. And so on this Sunday morning, as we come to what is one of the best known prayers in all of Scripture, it's worth remembering what prayer involves and the enormous privilege that we have. Most of us... Still, in this month of January, as I said two weeks ago, are continuing to plan and prepare events like baptisms. Others are preparing for retirement later in the year. Some of us thinking of moving job or changing house. Some of us planning and preparing for the graduation of our children and our adult children from college later in the year. Some of us are preparing for a family wedding in another part of the country. Some of us preparing for children arriving for the first time. And amidst all of the sense of excitement and planning and preparation, the question I asked two weeks ago and worth reminding ourselves of this morning is this. Where are we in our prayer life on a daily basis? Is prayer for us? as equally as exciting and insightful as an email from outer space? Is it an exercise we intentionally build in to our busy and demanding lives each day? Come May, when graduations happen, one of the things we will do is take out our cell phone and take pictures of the graduate and send them to family and friends and Facebook and texts and emails. Attending weddings, we will do likewise of the bride and groom and granny in her very best outfit. We will want to share that with family and friends and those we love. And we know the enormous privilege we have of living with smartphones and the convenience they bring into our lives. 
But because they are so convenient, because we can take one out of our pocket and have instant access to more information than any previous generation, they also cause us difficulties. Let me explain what I mean. Last week I read an article that said this. Our phones always promise another update to see images to like, websites to visit, games to play, texts to read, streams to watch, forecasts to monitor, podcasts to download, headlines to scan, articles to skim, scores to check, prices to compare. And in the back of our minds... Living in a 21st century culture, society suggests to us that if we are not actively on our phone, looking at a laptop, staring at a screen at some level or other, somehow we are missing out. Somehow life is running past us. There is great adventure and excitement out there. And unless we are technologically engaged in this digital playground, somehow we are missing out. And prayer calls us to the very opposite. It calls us to quiet, uninterrupted, deep, intimate moments in the presence of God himself. Moments that are not to be disrupted. Moments when we don't check our phone every two minutes to see if there is an email or an update. The latest football score, news headlines. But it calls for concentration. It calls us to be intentional in our mindset. It calls for us to carve out moments of deep abiding intimacy so we can prayerfully say, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. For we know that out of that deep, intimate relationship, everything else brings life. But unless we have it, we somehow find ourselves scurrying from one news headline to the next, from one tweet to another, from one football score to the next. And we're tempted in this day and age to believe that quiet moments are Wasted moments. But in fact, Scripture teaches us the very opposite. Because it tells us again and again and again, Be still and know that I am God. For all of the convenience of smartphones, and I would have to say I love technology, but it can also be a distraction. And the temptation for me is to think if I'm sitting quietly, not only am I wasting time, but life is rushing by. And I need to be up to date with the latest, most exciting. And yet my experience tells me otherwise. It tells me in those deep abiding moments of prayer that life-renewing, soul-strengthening intimacy with God equips 
and strengthens and fuels my day's activities rather than taking away from it. Two weeks ago when we looked at the prayer of the Apostle Paul, we said this is what happens when we pray. We said that genuine prayer is an encounter with the ineffable character and nature of God himself. Folks, please don't lose sight of that. It's combined with an intimate conversation of reciprocal love, defined by a deep dependency on him, while wrapped up in adoration of him who is. Can you imagine what was going through David's mind when he wrote, The Lord is my shepherd. We're also reminded that prayer is never, never the solitary explanation of your own subjectivity. In fact, it's not simply a sharing of your fears and hopes and wants and dreams. It's partly that, but so much more than that. It begins with engagement with Him, and then eventually you move. Once your heart has been warmed, your soul quickened, a longing desire is burning from within to spend more time with Him. Then, after we say, the Lord is my shepherd, then eventually we move to, I shall not be in want. Prayer involves awe, profound intimacy, struggle and reality. It does, of course, move us to wrestle with the issues in our lives that are deep issues and we don't know how to respond to them or what action to take. But we know it begins in that place of profound intimacy and awe. Prayer is an encounter with God that not only involves the affections of the heart, but also the convictions of the mind. And so when we come to prayer... What is it we are thinking? We begin with the Lord is my shepherd. Sometimes in our minds, we're tempted to think that when we pray, we get. And if we don't pray, we don't get. Now, there is no question that God in his sovereign purposes and redemptive interaction with us responds to our prayer. But what if prayer is so much more than simply getting? What if prayer is about being and becoming? What if it's about being still, quieting the soul? taking the fears and frustrations and the daily distractions and putting them to one side as we simply say, the Lord is my shepherd. And then begin to get things in perspective. Then listen and engage before we move to our wants and desires. Being and becoming. Because not only does God provide prayer for interaction and relationship and ultimately answering to those prayers, but he also uses prayer to refine and shape us and make us the people he longs to be. We said two weeks ago, no prayer, no power to live. 
No prayer, no power to persevere. No prayer, no growing and maturing in our faith. The Lord is my shepherd. And when we are there, bearing in mind all that we've said about prayer, then we realize, I shall not be in want. I would have to say that over my years of praying, that he doesn't always give me what I want but he always gives me what I need. The Lord is my shepherd. The book of the Psalms was so well known to Jesus that in fact it was the prayer book which he would use in the synagogue service and his hymn book in the temple festivals. The words you are reading today he memorized most likely as a wee boy. He had so memorized the Psalms, he used them in his teaching. He met temptation with them. He sang the Hillal from it, built and structured on the Psalms after the Last Supper. He quoted it from the cross and died with it on his lips. The Psalms and the prayers of the Psalms were so important to him. Now, as you go deeper and deeper into the book of Psalms, you quickly learn there are several classifications of them. As you begin to read the Psalms, you will quickly discover, as we said, there are different classifications within them. Of the 150, there are Psalms of ascent and lament, moving up devotionally in your mind into the temple, often sung at the feasts and festivals in Jerusalem. There are messianic Psalms, which highlight the aspects of the life, death, and ministry of Christ. There are psalms of praise and thanksgiving, royal psalms of affirmation and trust, wisdom psalms and penitential psalms. That we don't come to the psalms because of their technical classification. We don't come to the way that the Hebrew language subtly uses acrostics from the Hebrew alphabet to instruct us. We come to the Psalms again and again because they provide for us insight into the lives of real people with real struggles, facing real situations. These are prayers we identify with, circumstances we understand, trials and difficulties we recognize. That's why Psalm 23 is so precious to us. Now, whenever we come to a passage of Scripture, of course, we are naturally inquisitive what does it teach us when was it written who was it written to and for all that we know of psalm 23 we don't know when it was written we know it was written by david david was as we know a shepherd boy he spent his summers in the high country alone with his sheep away from his six brothers and his parents because there are cooler, greener pastures up there. And during those months of isolation and solitude, do you envisage David settling down at night with no one else to distract him or disturb him and in moments of devotion writing, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. 
Was it then that God was preparing the heart of this young teenager to ultimately become king over all of Israel, to become Israel's greatest historical leader? It's very likely, isn't it? Or in your mind, have you imagined him writing, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Did he write those words the evening after defeating Goliath and the Philistine army? When he looks back in gratitude, was that the moment that profoundly moved him to write these words? We don't know. But we do know he wrote them. And he writes them with intense gratitude. He highlights his utter dependency on the providence and provision of God. A couple of weeks ago, someone sent me an email and it said this. Did your parents ever say, please excuse my French after they used a naughty word. My dad did, and I will never forget my first day at school when my teacher asked if anyone in the class knew French. Now we smile and laugh at that when a parent uses a word in an unguarded fashion and children, of course, overhear it. But words matter, don't they? They have significance and meaning and value. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Our focus is often on the green pastures, is it not? Seeking answered prayer, seeking his comfort and his presence, his hand of blessing. But we tend to overlook the opening words of that verse. He makes me lie down. And I suspect moments, most of us would say there are moments in our lives when he brings circumstances and challenges and trials into our life that cause us to pause. Sometimes it's physical ill health when he makes me lie down. And when we lie down, he's got our attention When we lie down, we're not so much looking at our phone, we're not so much distracted, but we have time, time to think and reflect and pray and move into his presence once again. He makes me lie down. There is never a wasted moment in the purposes and plans of God. And we know that in those moments of prayer, when we engage with him, things begin to develop. When we pray with intensity, we break away from mediocrity. Do we not? When we pray with regularity, God becomes our priority. When we pray in a solitary manner, we become fully dependent on Him. And prayer refines who we are and also defines who we are. That's why we're spending time looking at fresh prayers for a new year. He makes me lie down. And then David adds, finally, He restores my soul. In Old English or Medieval English, there is a phrase for a sheep 
that settles down on a warm day. It's no longer eating. There is no threats, no parasites. And it settles down and eventually rolls over onto its side as it's scratching its back and then sometimes over onto the other side and it's scratching and settling down in the warm sun. And occasionally it will roll over too far and it's on its back and its legs begin to flail in the air and it begins to panic and you can hear it bleating as it's in crisis. And the shepherd is listening and he's listening for that faint off in the distance and as he moves towards the sound he hears it calling more and more and of course he's moving towards it as quickly as he can and what does he do he knows this that when the sheep is cast down cast down O my soul words from the psalms the first thing he does is get alongside and gently puts it on his side because it's not ready to stand up yet. All of the blood has come out of circulating in its legs and it's lying in its main body and so he puts it onto its side and he begins to rub those legs and create life and heat once again and eventually he'll lift it up and sit over the sheep and talks to it and says, you silly sheep, what were you thinking? And we'll rub one leg. Wasn't I there? Didn't I promise to look after you? Aren't I going to give you something to eat and something to drink? How long have you been like this? What on earth were you thinking? And God does exactly that to us when we find ourselves settling down and being comfortable and then we move from comfort to crisis and he gets alongside us and he whispers to our soul, I am your shepherd. You shall not be in want. There are times when I make you lie down, but I will also restore your soul. That's a prayer for this week for some of us. And it may well be you are saying, Richard, okay, I think I've got it. I understand all that you've been saying about this psalm. It's one of my favorites. But Richard, here is what I need from you this morning. Richard, I don't so much need a classification of royal psalms and messianic psalms and Davidic psalms. What I need is this. I need a single challenge, Richard, that I can respond to and apply this week. Well, here it comes. Are you ready? A shrinking soul. A thinning faith is renewed, revitalized, and strengthened in moments of deep prayer. And your challenge this week is to be intentional in your action, deliberate in your approach. Take your phone, switch it off, put it to one side, and spend time with him in the pages of his word, feeding your soul, reminding yourself, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He restores my soul. Let's pray together.
Father, thank you for this wonderful passage of Scripture this morning and all that it has been teaching us. Allow us this week, please, to live in the words of these opening four verses, to apply them to our own lives, to come back again and again this week and be refreshed and renewed, speak into our thinning faith, our shrinking soul, in order that you might renew us and refresh us. Father, walk with us this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.